welcome to the AFS Exchange. My name is Kate Mulvihill. The AFS Exchange is a podcast by AFS USA, where we open the door to hear from members of our AFS family. This is a place to have conversations or, you know, exchanges with AFS host families, students, volunteers, and educators. During these exchanges, we will hear from our guests on how their lives have been impacted by AFS. What lessons have they taken away from their experience abroad or their experiences with hosted students here in the United States? This episode features an interview with Nico Borbeli, an AFS returnee from the US who is currently based in Iceland. Nico first got involved with AFS thanks to his mother, an AFS exchange student to the US from Italy. We'll hear from Nico about his experiences as an AFS participant in Egypt and how his interest in Arabic language stemmed from a hosted student he met while taking part in AFS events alongside his family. We'll also learn about volunteer traditions within AFS Iceland and how you can always come back as an AFS volunteer, even if you took some time off. Also, about halfway through the episode, we'll have a little break where I'll share a clip from Alicia Cherry, a 10-year-old host sister from South Carolina. Alicia, like Nico, has a mom who came to the U.S. through AFS and then later moved here. Alicia will share some of the fun experiences she's had with her AFS siblings. Also, for context, both of these interviews were conducted in the summer of 2020. Anyway, here we go. So, Nico, could you introduce yourself? Sure. So, uh, my name's Nico. I uh, was born and grew up in Ann Arbor, Michigan. Um, I grew up with my my parents, my mom and my dad, and uh, and a younger sister. My mom uh, specifically is actually an AFS alumna herself uh, from from Italy, and she came to to the U.S. with AFS, which is sort of how uh, everything started. Um, exchange and oh. Was she placed in Michigan? She was placed in uh, Maryville, Tennessee, which was a, a very little town outside of uh, outside of Knoxville. Specifically, AFS in particular is some something that's kind of always been in my family because of my my mom's experience. So when she came back to the states, she got involved with AFS again. So growing up, what role did AFS play in your family's life? My mom, for many years, volunteered in the uh, AFS Washtenaw chapter, which was sort of the local chapter in my area where I grew up. When I was young, I spent a fair amount of time around exchange students. Like sometimes we would go to events in the AFS chapter, or sometimes they would come over to our house, or my mom was a liaison several times for, for locally hosted exchange students. So thanks to your mother getting involved with AFS while you were a kid, you were seeing the benefits of having AFS students in your community even before going abroad yourself. So what was that like? I think that it was more, it was kind of informative almost for me in the sense that I got to understand better what American high school traditions exchange students were excited about uh, experiencing when they came. Things like graduation or prom or, you know, even just the mundane little the more mundane little things that I didn't think about so much stuff like experiencing snow for the first time or riding in uh, a big yellow school bus you know that was those were things that many many people that came were very excited about and I think that that getting to know the other exchange students was a really big part of what interested and motivated me to end up going on exchange so many times over myself that's great an opportunity to see these American traditions and customs that you've grown up with, maybe that you always took for granted, 
and seeing the discovery of them through someone else's eyes. I can understand why you would be looking forward to having your own experience like that in another country. Did you always plan on studying abroad? I had always kind of known about it since my childhood with, you know, my mom's experience in the back of my mind. And she had quite a good relationship with her host family in Tennessee as well. So she every now and again would go to see them. And I actually ended up meeting them as well. So how did you decide which country to go to first? I had started to become interested in Arabic at the time. An Egyptian uh, exchange student there in the chapter with us at the time ended up giving me Arabic lessons. Then, as now, I was interested in a very wide array of languages. I considered a number of different options, even just as a 12-year-old when it was very far down the line. I imagined myself going on exchange to various different countries, but kind of because I had gotten to know Fatma, the AFS uh, exchange student who had given me Arabic lessons, my mind sort of settled on, on Egypt because I was interested in the combination of cultures, both, you know, current and historical. You know, I had been very interested in Egyptology as a kid, and so I just kind of ended up settling on it pretty soon. Okay. Yeah, seems like this was a done deal early on. Remember, for for many years, it wasn't, you know, it wasn't even just when I go abroad as an exchange student that I would refer to. It was like when I go to Egypt, like as an exchange student, that was a goal that I was very focused on from basically the time that I was 12 until the until I ended up going when I was 16. <laughs> so after you decided on Egypt because of Fatma and your interest in Egyptology, you had a few years to wait until you went abroad. Did you study Arabic during that time? I started taking private lessons with, uh, with a teacher uh, before I left for about six or seven months. In total, um, I wanted to have at least somewhat of a base that I could build on. So while you were living in Egypt, could you tell me a little bit about the program you did? I'm assuming you lived with a host family? My host family was... Um, a very important element of my experience. I got along really well with them. And from, from the very first day, I remember they were, they were very welcoming. I, I lived in a host family with a host father, a host mother, and I had, in total, I had three host brothers, but one of them was on exchange in the US while I was in Egypt, so I lived with two of them. But I did get to meet the other one as well because uh, he was placed in Indiana and he came to the US almost a month before I left. Um, and that was close enough that I went to visit him together with my mom just to meet him before leaving for, for my own year. That's funny. That's so great. What a coincidence that he just happened to be placed somewhere that's within driving distance of where you lived and that the timing just worked out. So what was it like to live with the host family in Egypt? It was, it was very different in many ways from the kind of family structure that I was used to in the sense that in Egypt, usually it's not common for people to, to move outside of their parents' homes before marriage. So my host brothers were all quite a bit older than me. And they both had full-time jobs where they had to work pretty pretty irregular hours. And so we it was it was different in the sense that it was a bit hard to sort of plan activities all together as a family, basically, because everybody had such different hours that they were operating on. Yes. And living with a family abroad, you get to learn more about different family structures and how other cultures may have different roles for parents and children than we would be used to here. Also, customs regarding adult children living in the house can vary greatly across the globe. Well, okay. Despite all of the varying schedules of your host family members, were you still able to get to know them? 
but even still, I, I remember I spent a lot of time with my, my different host family members and my host brothers in particular, I remember kind of almost adopted me in a way into their, <laughs> into their friend groups. Like we, um, they often would, would take me when they would be going to hang out with their friends at cafes or other places like that, basically. And towards the end of the year, when it, uh, when it got a bit warmer, I remember we went to the beach together several times since I was staying in Alexandria, which is along the, the, the Mediterranean coast. And then also I got to know, um, I, I was very close also with my host mother. Um, and I got to know not just my host family, but also kind of like their extended um, relatives and even their neighbors as well. So how is it different from the way you would spend time with family back home? The activities that we did weren't as cohesive as I was used to in my, you know, coming from a family where I had only one sibling that was quite close to me in age back home. I still had chances to get to know everyone quite well and do things together. Also, you know, culture aside, living with a host family can give participants the opportunity to experience a different family dynamic. As you're saying, Nico, you went from having one sister who is close in age to you back in Michigan to having two brothers much older than you in the home while you were in Egypt. Yeah, I see that if you're a family looking to host and you already have a child or children, bringing a new sibling into the home can change the family dynamic a bit. But ultimately, it's an opportunity to help your children start to travel around the world without leaving the home. Also teaching them how to connect with people who have life experiences that could be pretty different from theirs. So, well, your host brothers were older. Did you get to know any Egyptian kids your age while you were there? There were a lot of AFS volunteers, at least in the Alexandria chapter, that were oftentimes quite young, had recently returned from exchanges of their own, typically to to the USA. So many of my friends were recently returned um, AFS volunteers that were around my age. So what kinds of things would you do together? What types of activities do Egyptian teenagers do for fun? It's it's quite common, I think, to go to cafes or also like coffee houses. Those are very typical hangout places, also malls. And because Alexandria is located along the coast, people will oftentimes, and especially in the spring and summer, will go to the beach. And even, you know, all year round, if the weather is nice, it's also just great to to hang out together outside. One very uh, important sort of center for for teenagers and young people in Alexandria in particular is the Biblioteca Alexandrina, which is a sort of modernist uh, tribute to the ancient, you know, like the famed ancient library of Alexandria. There are many youth organizations or, you know, conferences or competitions or stuff like that which take place uh, within it and also many concerts as well I remember attending there so that's a, a really important sort of rallying place for in for you know young people in the city that's so great that it's a library you know the one of the centers of the community and also it's a very impressive building and I will make sure to encourage everyone to google it but well let's see um, could you share a bit about your story from after you got back from Egypt in high school? Because now you're in Iceland. So what has happened between those two times? I went to Egypt when I was a sophomore in in high school. So I still had two years left when I got back. Basically, I became a volunteer for the local chapter almost immediately. Because one of the things, aside from the fact that, you know, I was excited about 
continuing to contribute to the, the world of exchange and AFS in some way. I also, um, one of the things that I really appreciated during my experience was that there were so many um, volunteers my age that were, uh, that were around that I could talk to and befriend and everything. And so I figured that as long as I was going to still be around and be in school and stuff like that, I could sort of be that kind of person for incoming exchange students like many of volunteers from the Alexandria chapter were for, for me. So then in the time before I finished high school, I did a summer program with Nisli Y. I went to Turkey. So Nisli Y, or the National Security Language Initiative for Youth, is a program of the U.S. Department of State launched in 2006 to promote critical language learning among American youth. The scholarship, implemented by a handful of nonprofit organizations, including AFS, provides merit-based summer and academic year immersion programs, giving students formal and informal language practice and sparking a lifetime of interest in languages and cultures. Languages include Arabic, Mandarin Chinese, Hindi, Indonesian, Korean, Persian, Russian, and Turkish. Interested students can learn more on the website NSLI for youth.org. And then after I got back, I finished high school, graduated, and then I went to Beloit College in southern Wisconsin, where I continued to pursue my passion for languages and just kind of geography and, and culture in general. I majored in Russian uh, at Beloit, and then I went on several different um, exchange programs, both sort of short and long term. And for a quick summary, after Turkey, the list of programs includes Iceland, Finland, Azerbaijan, Russia, then Iceland again. Nico was awarded a Fulbright scholarship to study in Iceland for one year. After a year at the University of Iceland in Reykjavik, he decided to stay and continue at the university. And you know what? We will hear more about that when we come right back. So here, I'm happy to include a little chat between Alicia Cherry, host sister, and her mom, Patricia Cherry, an AFS alum who came to the U.S. from Portugal. After returning to Portugal, then moving to Japan, Patricia eventually came back to the U.S. and has welcomed AFS students into her home as a host mother. And in doing so, she's introduced her daughter, Alicia, early on to different cultures and ways of life, and maybe found a future AFS participant to Norway. My name is Alicia, and I am 10. So what was it like to have a brother and sister from a different country? It was pretty cool. I would like learning things like culture, like maybe food or dances and all kinds of stuff. So what kind of things did you like to do together? I sometimes like vacations or we would ride our bike or they can help me with my math homework, which is the worst. We would also go horseback riding sometimes. She would teach me how good selfies for the camera. To take selfies? Yeah. <laughs> like peace sign. Oh, okay. Or the dab. What's a dab? Well, um, I can't really explain it, but yeah, it's, it's kind of dance move. Oh, okay, so she would teach you that? No, I taught her that. And do you want to go to another country? Mm -hmm. you're older? Um, yes. Where do you want to go and why? Well, so far the only place that I know that actually snows a lot is Norway. Because I'm a pretty big polar bear and I love cold. 
And the things I would like to do there is probably see hockey on ice, or maybe go ice skating, and maybe do all kinds of stuff in the snow. Do you have a sister or brother from Norway? Uh-huh. Oh, what is their name? Regina. Oh, okay. Well, thank you, Alicia. You're welcome. So what did a normal day look like for you in Reykjavik pre-pandemic? A typical day would consist basically just of um, classes at, uh, at the University of Iceland. I've, since I arrived, I've been living on campus at the university. So it's always, you know, a quick walk away from the university buildings. And I start off the day with some coffee on my way to class. And then classes, the schedules vary a little bit from, from day to day, but I would usually be in about two, no, more like three-ish to four-ish hours of classes in a day. And with, you know, breaks in between and everything, finish off and then, you know, maybe study for a bit on campus, go back home. And then I, I auditioned for the university choir and got in, which has been a very important place for me in terms of making Icelandic friends. So, I, you know, twice a week, I go to choir practice. I was doing my best to go to lots of sort of extracurricular events and talks on the university campus and also, you know, many concerts or out on the weekends with friends or other things like that. Because the thing about Iceland is that it's a very small, even Reykjavik, it's like a very small place, a very, you know, small population and everything. But there's really a lot to do if you if you look in the right places. I think that there are, you know, many you know, like the music scene is very active. There are lots of, you know, cafes where they have different kinds of cultural events and other things like that. There's a lot to look for here in that sense. And I was doing my best to take advantage of it as much as possible. Well, it sounds like you really were taking advantage of everything that Iceland and Reykjavik had to offer. It's really important when you're living or going to school or working in a different country, right? I mean, sometimes you really need to actively seek those experiences out, but it's worth it. I, I'm sorry, I wanted to make sure that I mentioned this, that actually, since I came here, I've been able to become involved in, in AFS actually more again. Oh, that's great. Basically, from the time that I finished high school on, I wasn't really able to volunteer regularly for AFS anymore because I was, aside from the fact that I was really busy in college, I didn't have a car, so my my mobility was a bit limited. But moving back to, like, moving to Iceland, I've actually become a lot more involved in, in AFS again because the AFS Iceland headquarters are here in town. And so I've had, you know, some really nice opportunities to partake in some events with, with AFS Iceland. I went on a retreat with them for new volunteers when I had, you know, just been back here for about a month at the time. I also got to partake in you know, some nice kind of like local traditions like AFS's annual gala and stuff like that. And which, you know, annual galas are kind of are kind of a fixture with um, academic departments, workplaces, um, organizations, that kind of thing. It's very common here um, in Iceland. Hmm. Could you explain what a gala is? Sure. I mean, in this in this context, at least it's basically just like, you know, an evening where everybody gets all you know dressed and done up really fancy and gets together for a meal often accompanied by a video with almost comedy-like sketches with a very particular sort of dry like wry kind of sense of humor um, and then maybe like dancing or other stuff like that afterwards 
So many of my good friends that I've made since I got here, I've gotten to know from the AFS community as well. So it's been, it's been a very nice opportunity for me to sort of reconnect with the world of AFS, basically. Well, that's great to hear. AFS being a network all over the world, you can find AFS or at least a community of AFSers in so many countries. And it's great that you were able to get involved with AFS again. I think there are two things in your story to highlight there. You know, first of all, if you're a volunteer and you take a few years off from AFS, we're still here. It's never too late to get involved again. Also, it's a great way to meet new people if you've just moved to a new spot, be that a new state in the U.S. or another country entirely. And speaking of living somewhere new and discovering a new place, what would you say is something that has surprised you during your time in Iceland? Hmm. That's a good question. I guess the level, the level of knowledge that there is in, about the country itself, in a way, it's a very sparsely populated country. Um, you know, there are many Reykjavik and the surrounding, you know, metropolitan area feels like pretty normal sort of sized towns coming from coming from outside the country, but there are big parts of the country that are very sparsely populated and, you know, towns are quite small and sort of give way to these, you know, majestic natural spaces, which, which the country has become quite known for in recent years with good reason. There's this very deep knowledge of the land and sort of this very etymological, um, almost like linguistic mapping of, uh, of the landscape, which I think is very fascinating with, yeah, like a great amount of detail that I wouldn't necessarily have expected. Everything seems like it has a name and some sort of background because many, many of these like geographical features have people's names attached to them. Features like the mountains, the, the streams, the rivers, uh, the glaciers. So how does speaking the local language, how has that enriched your experiences abroad? And, you know, I'm sure it's different in Turkey versus Iceland versus Egypt, but overall, how has speaking the local language influenced your experiences? It has given all of them an element of um, connection and a depth to that connection that would not have been possible otherwise, I would say. In, in a place like Egypt or Turkey, it's hard in general to get, a, to get around, you know, only speaking English. But it is possible, especially in a situation where, you know, you're going in as an exchange student, you're maybe you could choose to hang out with classmates that are more comfortable in, in English and sort of just live your experience in English. And then learning the local language enriches things, you know, beyond recognition. Um, I was able to communicate with people that I would not have been able to otherwise. In Egypt in particular, I would say my host mother was very important in terms of like helping me to learn Arabic because she knew lots of English words, but it wasn't very comfortable expressing herself in English. So in a way, I was sort of forced, quote unquote, to learn Arabic in order to be able to communicate in particular with her. We hung out a lot with my host family's extended family and my neighbors and stuff, and most of them didn't really know English. So it was very, very helpful for me to be able to connect. I was able to sort of have relationships just one-on-one -on -one rather than having to rely on someone my age, you know, to help translate. It's such a sense of accomplishment, you know, having a friendship or a relationship or connection with someone else that was built entirely in a language that you're still learning. I would say this is a common experience for a lot of AFS participants going abroad and interacting with family, classmates, etc., who don't speak English. 
you're kind of forced to communicate in the target language if you want to go beyond pleasantries and where's the bathroom. Here in the Nordic countries, people learn English from a young age because of their exposure to English language media and technology, especially so many people here are practically bilingual. In all of these countries, it's possible to varying extents to get by without learning that much of the local language. Okay, so in the Nordic countries, Denmark, Finland, Iceland, Norway, and Sweden, you're saying you don't need to learn the language to be able to get around and meet new people. But, well, it seems like, in your case at least, you do want to learn the language, even if it's not necessary for survival. It lends kind of a depth to one's experience of the local culture that is otherwise not possible. Even though my Icelandic is far from perfect, it's a very difficult language, as you know, many people might have heard. I it's so it's very rewarding for me to be able to use it in conversations um, with my Icelandic friends and you know communicate successfully and comfortably. So you're saying that even though you could get around Iceland pretty much while only speaking English, knowing the language adds so much. And even if you're just learning a few new words every day, each new word or conversation is a step closer to experiencing Iceland through the eyes of an Icelander. So Nico, when you see Americans in Iceland, but just passing through, traveling, what do you wish you could tell them about the country? That's a good question. I think that many people come here and they just kind of have this ad- this immediate attitude of like, oh, I'm not going to you know, bother, you know, learning about anything related to the culture just in general, because that's not what I'm here for, much less the language. You don't have to speak a language fluently, in or completely fluently, in order to connect with people or in order to communicate your appreciation for place or like desire to connect with it more. Even just if you know a f- maybe like a few good words, or even if you just understand some kind of typical words that maybe describe a cultural concept that's hard to translate or something like that. And so someone knows that they can, you know, talk to you about something without needing to explain what it is, you know, even if you just know a few things that can still in the right situations or contexts that can still be groundbreaking in its own way. Okay, so you grew up in Michigan inside of a bilingual, bicultural household. What has going abroad taught you about your American and your Italian identities? Growing up with a bilingual, bicultural background, I think that I've gone through many different stages of you know, reckoning with my identity at different parts of my life. What I like to joke about uh, that I have many identity crises on a regular basis. <laughs> Um, and I think that in many ways, you know, sort of starting with, I think my, my experience with AFS in, in Egypt, for instance, I think in some ways almost affirmed that I even had an American identity to begin with. When I went to Egypt on exchange, that, that it was my first time, you know, being away from either of my two countries for an extended period of time, you know, it's somewhere, somewhere that had, you know, an entirely distinct culture, language, history, all that kind of stuff from either of the places where I was raised. Um, it, and I, you know, going somewhere entirely different and, you know, missing the U.S., feeling homesick for it, that kind of way for the first time highlighted for me, wait, no, I'm not, I'm not either one or the other. Like I'm both, both places are a part of me. Both places feel 
like home to me and I belong to both of them in, in different ways and they've both shaped me in different ways. I, I really like being able to represent how different communities are present in the U.S. and, you know, there are, you know, like different cultures and different languages present in the U.S. Hmm. That it wasn't until you went abroad that you started to identify with your American identity. Well, I think it's so important for, you know, our participants abroad, as well as our volunteers here, host families, to be able to show different sides of the U.S. There's no, like, archetype of what an American is or what they should look like. Well, thank you. Is there anything else you'd like to share, Nico? Um, I think that's, you know, I think that's about it. Nothing else in particular at least comes to mind. Well, thank you so much for taking the time to chat and uh, have a good afternoon. Thanks, likewise. <laughs> Bye. Well, that was Nico Borbley, an AFS volunteer and returnee from Michigan, currently based in Iceland. Well, thank you for listening to the AFS Exchange. I'm Kate Malvahill. And before we get to the end credits, I wanted to do a quick plug for AFS Paraguay's podcast, AFS Cast Paraguay. If you speak Spanish or are learning Spanish, go check them out on Spotify. Let us know what you thought of this episode by sending a message to podcast at afsusa.org. If you enjoyed this show, please rate and review us on Apple Podcasts or subscribe on Spotify. Keep an eye out on AFS USA's social media. You will be hearing more from the AFS Exchange soon. This podcast was created by Kate Malvahill. Social media by Julie Ball and Sarah Ahmed. Special thanks to Heather Jackson, Annalise Stepman, Jill Warner, Rebecca Oswalt, Federico and Ivana from AFS Paraguay, and our guest, Nico Borbley.